Welcome to Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolley, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. We do not view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world. How are you doing? This is Samuel Tolley. We just got over the what they call the Easter season. I like to refer to it more as a time of remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And during that time, the cults have things to do. Well, the Jehovah Witnesses have their annual memorial service, which means for those of you that are unfamiliar with it, whereas many Protestant churches have a weekly or a monthly uh, communion service. Jehovah Witnesses have it once a year, and it's around this time. Now, the Mormons, um, they have a celebration too. They have a big theatrical production they put on at a few of their temples. And I, I visited one this year, right before Easter, in Tempe, Arizona. And it was a very interesting evening. Um, generally, when I go out and witness to some people, I like to carry my cross. But I was in an environment with maybe thousands of Mormons, and I was getting ready to go into their area. And my purpose is not to offend, even though there's no offense in the cross, but the idea that these, these people don't understand the cross. It's an enemy symbol to them. And, and what I'm trying to do is to reach somebody's heart. So I decided not to bring the cross when I visited their production. You know, as we were going, they have a, a cross from their temple they had like this big field. And at the end of the field, they have this outside uh, theater. And that's where they put their production on. And as I was walking along with my stepson um, to go visit and talk to people, across the street from the production, there was this Christian who was standing up there with a big giant sign yelling and screaming at these Mormons, calling them all kinds of nasty names, telling them they're all going to hell, just calling them vile things. And, 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 and what, what, what he achieved was basically just pissing them off, making people mad. I don't think that's what his heart was, what he wanted to do. I think he wanted to warn these people sincerely. But his technique wasn't very good. I mean, it's not productive. I mean, if you want to get into a yelling, screaming match with people, it's the easy thing to do. I found that out years ago when I invited some Jehovah Witnesses over to my house. And they came over, nice and pleasant. And I had did my research. And then I just 
laid it into them. I mean, I must have beat them. I must have took my Bible and beat the tar out of them from head to toe. And then after a while, they left. You know, and and it seems to me, I believe the Holy Spirit convicted me greatly. And it was like God told me, okay, now that you've beat them up, what have you accomplished? I mean, I won the battle. I mean, as far as theology, they couldn't do anything what I said. But the way I just eviscerated them as a human being. That was all I wanted. Come to find out later on that people that just beat up on cultists like that, many times those cultists take that as them suffering for Christ. So all I did was reinforce the theology that they were being fed. I didn't win the soul. And I've learned from that point forward that my goal is never to have to win the argument. My goal is to win the soul. So, you know, Jonathan and I, we, we went across the street and where the Mormons were, where many of them were sitting down, picnic area and everything. It was a nice, pleasant evening. The, I could see the crowd was very favorable to the event that was getting ready to start. And, you know, it wasn't the kind of atmosphere or situation that was conductive to real serious theological um, debate. Now, there were members of Jonathan's church on that side of the field handing out tracts to various Mormons that would take them. And, you know, there wasn't anything nasty about the tracks or nasty about their approach. Their approach was sincere, open, friendly. And, you know, they were interested in a conversation if people wanted to converse with them, but they weren't beating people down and screaming and yelling at them like that gentleman across the street was. So let me turn this thing off. Anyway, I found a young Mormon couple and I got to spend a couple of minutes talking to them. Found out that they were just engaged the day before. And I could ask some questions, just some light questions about their theology. You know, and I asked them, do you look to be a God in the future? That's, that's my understanding of their theology. And he said, well, you know, he was sort of, he said, yeah, and I wasn't getting, I already knew what it was. And, and I told her, I said, oh, well, you know, so one day the two of you hope to have your own planet and that you will father over, that they will be uh, gods. He will be the God, she will be his wife and whatever celestial wives they have. And they will fill the planet with Mormon spirits and in which case they're waiting for the bodies to come. Well, you know, and I and I asked, do you, you just believe that, the, I mean, you will be a god, and there's gods, and there are all kinds of gods. Anyway, I, that was not the environment 
to work as far as getting deep into stuff. But we had an opportunity um, where they, some of them said, well, hey, would you like for us to have somebody come visit you? I said, absolutely, sure. That would be great. And see, I've always believed in witnessing apologetics to people. And what is an easier way to witness the folks and to have them come to your door? I, I, you know, I know so many Christians that if they see a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon coming, they, are, they won't answer the door. They refuse to talk to these people. But at the same time, these Christians don't go knocking door to door trying to evangelize folks. So who is supposed to tell these people? By them being cultists, when I say cultists, they are restricted to what they can hear and take in. They're not going to walk into our churches. They're not going to purposely listen to our theology. I mean, if they're being truthful to their own. So how are they going to learn? You know, the purpose of Christians going to church, I mean, everything has been twisted we got this idea that we're supposed to go to church to get saved. Well, no, we're supposed to go to church to get fed, to be spiritually built up so we can go out there and do the ministry of the gospel. We are the foot soldiers that are supposed to get out there and help people and witness to them. And it's, I mean, it's so easy if they're coming to my house. I don't have to go anywhere. So we had a couple of Mormons uh, planning to come over the following week. Well, two weeks later. And we had a great time. But we have to prepare first. Let me give you a quick idea if you don't know. And this is just a synopsis of some of the things that Mormons believe. <clears throat> what I have right here is the Book of Mormon, uh, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. These are the three primary um, articles of faith, as it were, books that the Book of Mormon is depend on. And they do believe in the Bible, but then they have a caveat saying only as it was interpreted correctly. Traditionally, Mormons only look at the King James Bible. But to my surprise, the, the two young uh, Mormon missionaries that came to visit us were open to look at other um, versions as well. But it's best if you think you're going to witness some Mormons to brush up on your King James. Now, according to the Book of Mormon and the Mormons um, in general, the gospel and look, it, the first thing it says in this Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon is a volume of holy scripture comparable to the Bible. It is the record of God's dealing with ancient inhabitants of the Americas and contains, as does the Bible, the fullness of the everlasting gospel. This is the first thing it says in here. All right. The record, and I'm, I'm skipping, the record gives... An account of two great civilizations. One came from Jerusalem in 600 BC, 
and afterwards separated into two nations known as the Nephites and the Lamanites. Skip it some more. On September 21, 1823, the name, uh, the name hmm, Moroni, then a glorified uh, resurrected being, appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith and instructed him relative to the ancient record and its destined translations into the English language. So this angel, Moroni, came and saw Joseph Smith, this young man. And Joseph Smith asked this angel about which group should he join. And the angel told him none of them, none of the churches, their creeds were all wrong. Their, their apostle or their, 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 their teachers and professors were all corrupt. And their theology and everything, and the, it was an abomination. It was all wrong. So they wiped out all the churches, all the teachers, all the teaching. They, they claim that after the apostles died, the gospel was lost. It was lost until Joseph showed up. And the, the angel Moroni gave him the renewed gospel. So from the first century, when all the apostles died out, until what, the 18th century or so, 1823, when Joseph Smith showed up. And this angel Moroni brought him the golden tablets and all the other things in their story. The gospel was lost. And he brought the, the gospel. So they became the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And right now, the head of the and the, the head of the Mormon church is a prophet. And his word is akin to scripture. So if the prophet says something, boom, that's scripture. Joseph Smith was the first. And then after him, Brigham Young. And then after them, more and more and more until the present day. Now, like I said, this is a snapshot. This isn't everything. This is just a cursory thing. Mormons, you know, they started off with polygamy. And they did away with that. But they believe that there's three levels of heaven. And the highest level is exaltation. And in exaltation, you will become a god. You know, uh, I think Brigham Young said, as man was, uh, or as God was, man was, and man will be, or whatever. Anyway, man will become a god. And in their theology, man has always become a god. And this goes back infinitum. And I asked the missionaries when they showed up, well, if God's existed from eternity past, how did we ever get to where we are now? <laughs> and both of them, he said, you know, we asked that same question yesterday. We were trying to figure that one out ourselves. And I said, yeah, I mean, if it's been from eternity past. So they believe that there's always been a God, and then that God procreated a new God, and on and on and on. Just like the God of this world. Some of them call him Adam God. Most of them today won't use that. Or Elohim or whatever the name is, Heavenly Father. This God took on flesh and blood. 
human came to earth and had sexual relations with the Virgin Mary, irrespective of what the scripture says. He had sexual relations with the Virgin Mary, and that's how Jesus was brought into being. That is what the Mormons believe. The Mormons also teach in their Bible, excuse me for calling it the Bible, the Book of Mormon, <clears throat> that Jesus was born in Jerusalem instead of Bethlehem. There's many contradictions from basic biblical theology to the Mormon theology. I mean, so many more that, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to these young Mormons, bringing them this information or trying to share information with them. But they didn't get it. Actually, they weren't expecting people like us because, see, the Mormon missionaries that will visit you are generally two young men, maybe between I'd say 18 to 21 or something. Young guys probably haven't even been to college yet. And they don't have any, their theological training is whatever this training they receive before they go on this two-year missionary journey. The two fellows that came to visit us both live in Utah. And as they're on their journey, they cannot... Um, read stuff from the internet or TV. Only specific Mormon information. That's what they can look at. And um, so they, well, like I said, I think they're generally looking to just witness the people that don't have an understanding of their theology. I fortunately had a chance to look at their theology for a long time. I mean, for a long time, I've been looking at their stuff for years. And anyway, and, and we had a couple of weeks to prepare. So when they came, we both had, a, actually they gave um, Jonathan a Book of Mormon that he was able to use. And I had already had plenty of them. I got, Two of them right here. So when they came over, we started engaging them in conversation. And Jonathan was going to talk to them about um, salvation, their belief in salvation. And my purpose was to talk to them about um, Joseph Smith and archaeology. Because Mormonism rests or falls on Joseph Smith. That is something people need to understand. Nothing else matters. So Joseph Smith said, this is what he said, when, or this is what's recorded in their documentation, when Moroni or Jesus and the Father, because there's different stories, but when this vision and this person came to see him, he said, my object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects, that is religions, 
that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak, then I asked the personages who stood above me in the light, which of all the sects was right and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong, and their personages who addressed me said, all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, and those professors were all corrupt. And they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. So when the young man came to visit us, I read this to him. The idea is this. You don't want to beat up Joseph Smith. You want to beat up his theology. You don't want to get into, or I don't, never, I never want to get into a, a confrontation and a, with people if I can avoid it. But the theology, we have to attack. You know, if it doesn't line up with the Bible, we must defend what we believe. Because, uh, let's see here, it states very clearly. Let me get my Bible out. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord in your heart to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Not fear in them, fear in God. With meekness, you want to be gentle. You want, you want to be kind. But we must defend the gospel. We must show what we believe. And I always, when I'm dealing with cultists or adversarial people, I never like to use documents that somebody wrote about those people. Because then they can always say, well, those folks got a bias. So those folks, I want to use their stuff. I like their stuff. Because when I use their stuff, they can't accuse me of a bias. They have to defend their stuff just like we have to defend our stuff. And if we're not prepared to defend our stuff, then we got a problem because Jesus told us to defend it and to know it. So one other thing, um, in the Journal of Discourses, Brigham Young, the second prophet, said this, take up the Bible, compare the religion of the Latter-day Saints with it, and see if it will stand the test. Beautiful. I showed them that. Brigham Young just laid the groundwork for our discussion. And I asked him a very simple question. I said, well, wait a minute. So according to your theology, the gospel was lost until Joseph came back. I said, but that contradicts what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I mean, he said, and I said, Unto thee thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I said, how do you reconcile that? Well, yeah, I think one of the wishy-washy, you know, there was one guy that seemed more masculine, the other guy seemed more 
wishy-washy, sort of squeaks, squishy. Well, you know, we always believed that even though the gospel was lost, there were people that were sincerely trying to follow God. There, you know, there were those people that that really tried the best they could, you know. And and and, and so we 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 recognize that. You know, we, we do recognize it, even though Joseph came back with the full gospel, we recognize it. And then he always coming back and saying, but you know what? What you should do is you should you should read the Book of Mormon and then pray to God and ask him if this is true. You know, all you know, just ask him if this is true. And then if you get the burning in the bosom, then you'll have your acknowledgement. And I said, well, I don't need to ask God what is true, what God has already told me wasn't true. And I said, by the way, let me take you to Galatians chapter one. I want to show you something. So I took him to Galatians chapter one. And I started reading at verse six. And I said, this is what the Bible says. He said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for another gospel which is not just another account, but there are some of you who are disrupting you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, and even now I say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be accursed. That's the Bible. You you got to dispute with that. Well, they didn't know what to say. I, these missionaries, these particular fellows, I'm sure never saw that scripture before. And like I told them, I said, you know, there's two theologies that I'm aware of that an angel came into play. You know, with their news, and that's Islam and this one. Now, the Bible says that we're not supposed to just listen to some angel. And you're telling me that what I need to do is just ignore the evidence, ignore anything, but just pray. I said, it, it doesn't work that way. So I, so I, so I gave them some more scripture. I, you know, the Bible says the the the, the word is a two-edged sword. So I, I would say that Matthew uh, chapter 24, verse 24 says, For there shall arrive false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And I and I asked him, and, and in verse 35 it says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. I said, Jesus said his word's not going nowhere. You said you believe the Bible. The Bible was older than the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and Doctrine and Covenant. I said, so why should we accept that one? Then I gave him another verse from Joseph Smith. And then the Book of Mormon and 1 Nephi chapter 14, 14 verse 10. This is why it's so good to always learn the other person's stuff. It makes your job easier. In 1 Nephi um, chapter 14, verse 10, it says, 
And he said unto me, behold, there are saved two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God, of God, and the other is the church of the devil. Wherefore, whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God belongeth to the great to that great church, which is the mother of abominations, and she is the whore of the whole earth. I told the missionaries, I said, you know what? I agree with Joseph Smith right there. Because ultimately, there is only the church of the Lamb of God and the church of the devil. Our, our issue is which is which. These people, <laughs> you know, like I said, these are young boys. You know, they're still wet around the ears. But hey, you put them out there to do a man's job, then they should be able to deal with it like a man. So, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young laid the foundation. And therefore, I decided to use their foundation to examine whether or not the Book of Mormon is true. And so what I did was, I asked the young man, I said, look, I want you to look at uh, a scripture in Deuteronomy. And then... You know, I'm going to show you something. I said, so we went to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verses 18 through 22. And it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like unto you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him up here <clears throat> and whoso whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name I myself will require it of him but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name and that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods that same prophet shall die and if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So Moses laid out the groundwork for a prophet. If some prophet says that he's speaking in the name of the Lord, whatever that thing he said has to 100% come true. So the Mormons, they, you know, they just listened. They, they didn't question. So I said, okay, now I want to use, I want to compare that with Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 84, verses 2 through 5. So everybody turn to Doctrine and Covenants. And this is what it says in Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 84, verses 2 to 5. 
Yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church, established in the last days for the restoration of his people, as he has spoken by the mouth of his prophets, and for the gathering of his saints to stand upon Mount Zion, which shall be the city of New Jerusalem. Which city shall be built beginning at the temple lot, which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundaries of the state of Missouri and dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith Jr. and others with whom the Lord was well pleased. Okay, so there's going to be a new city called New Jerusalem, a temple, and it's going to be dedicated by Joseph Smith. Verily, this is the word of the Lord. Now he's proclaiming that this is what God said. The prophet, the first prophet of the Mormon church. This is Joseph Smith's writing. Okay? Verily, this is the word of the Lord, that the city, New Jerusalem, shall be built by the gathering of the saints beginning at this place, even the place of the temple, which temple shall be reared in this generation. For verily, this generation shall not all pass away until a house shall be built unto the Lord and a cloud shall rest upon it, which cloud shall be even the glory of the Lord, which shall fill the house. So Joseph Smith, the first prophet of the Mormon church, has stated that there's going to be uh, a temple built in the city of New Jerusalem, Missouri, and that he was going to dedicate it. It never happened. It never happened. And what does it say in verse 22 of Deuteronomy chapter 18? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. I asked the Mormon missionaries, what happened? Well, uh, uh, there was a, a, a temple in Jackson. Uh, uh, no, no, no. That's not what the text says. That's not what the prophecy says. It says New Jerusalem, Missouri, and dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith. This is your first prophet. This is the prophet. This is the gentleman who supposedly received this stuff these golden plates, the Book of Mormon. Your whole theology rests on him, and he claims to be a prophet, but that does not pass the test of a biblical prophet. You say this is another testimony of Jesus Christ. Um, they really, they had nothing. I mean, they had nothing. They, 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 they there was nothing they could say. I mean, they just sort of mumbled and fumbled. And uh, 
So I took him to some more stuff. You know, I took him to Alma. Chapter 7. Verse 10. And it says, And behold, he shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers. She being a virgin, a precious and chosen vessel, who shall be overshadowed and conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost and bring forth a son, yea, even the Son of God. What does the Bible say? Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there became there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. The Bible says he was born in Bethlehem. This thing says he was born in Jerusalem. They both can't be right. A circle cannot be round and square at the same time. Now, I wasn't being mean. I wasn't trying. And Mr. Squishy, he was like, well, you know, there's some things that, you know, maybe some of the people that wrote some of the stuff was, you know, you know, misinterpreted, you know, by, I said, where? Well, show me. Well, where's the problem? Explain it to me. They couldn't show me anything. They had nothing. You know, the idea wasn't to be mean, but the idea was to show, is the Book of Mormon, you know, God's word or not? So they, they you know, they were stuck. They had nothing. Now, there was other things. I went to the theater. I went from the theological to the archaeological. And I would ask them serious questions about archaeology. You remember the two great um, peoples that they said came to the Americas? And Hellman, H-E-L-L, a M A N chapter three in verse eight, it says this, and it came to pass that they did multiply and spread and did go forth from the land southward to the land northward and did spread in so much that they became to cover the face of the whole earth from the sea south to the sea north from the sea west to the sea east. Now, this is supposed to be in the Americas. The only area that this makes sense would be if they're talking about South America. But to this date, to this date, there has never been one archaeological piece of evidence to substantiate the Book of Mormon. Not one. Nothing, zero, nada, none. If, if you have people that are spreading um, 
completely over the land from, I mean, the entire continent. There should be something. There should be something that people can, 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 can hold on to, can, can pick up, uh, even if it's just, you know, Stone Age arrows. But in the Book of Mormon, they claim that these they had these massive uh, battles. Like there was a battle on Mount Cumora where two million people died with swords and stuff. And Mount Cumora is supposed to be in New York. But there's never been any archaeological evidence. They talk about in Alma, there's all kinds of coinage that these people have. We've never seen any, not one coin. You got drachmas, you got all kinds of coins from Bible era available. There's absolutely nothing to substantiate the Book of Mormon. No, archaeologically, nothing. We got no evidence of anything. All we have is the word of Joseph Smith. That's all we have. We got the word of Joseph Smith. And, and you know, I didn't even get into the more sensitive things because I didn't want to embarrass these guys. I mean, you know, they got a Mormon theology where black people were cursed by ham. Um, you know, people didn't fight uh, when they were supposed to fight in spirits. I've heard different stories. And it's even in the book of, you know, the, the book of Mormon, there's things about the Nephites and they had put on uh, blackness and stuff. I left it alone. I didn't even go there. But I decided to go, I was looking for something else. They said in 2 Nephi chapter um, 5, verse 16, it said, And I, Nephi, did build a temple, and I did construct it after the manner of the temple of Solomon, save it were not built of so many precious things, for they were not to be found upon the land. Wherefore, it could not be built like unto Solomon's temple. But the manner of the construction was like unto the temple of Solomon, and the workmanship thereof was exceedingly fine. And I asked him, where, where was that temple? Where was the temple built? Hmm. I said, I mean, you, they should have some kind of archaeological remains, something that we can hold on to. Well, you know, like I said, the guy kept squishy. It's still about me praying. Now they came back. We had two visits. And I was trying to figure out, how can I penetrate this guy? How can I, you know, make him think past the programming? Because, you know, they, 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 <clears throat> the programming is deep. You know, I mean, the programming is, to me, akin to... Uh, black Democrats, because black Democrats, that programming is deep. It is it, it's it's hard to break through that. And you say, well, wait a minute, why why all of a sudden you come out here talking about politics? Well, let me tell you, religion and politics 
between the two of them or both of them govern every aspect of your life. Everyone, every aspect. If, if religion doesn't govern it, politics does or vice versa. And people do themselves a disservice by not talking about either. I talk about both. You know, that, that line go around, well, you know, when you get around people, you should never talk about religion or politics. Why not? Religion and politics is what's ruling the world and ruining the world in, in many cases. So we should always talk about it, but we should know what we're talking about. Then we can operate sensibly and in a way that makes sense. Sensibly in a way that makes sense, but you know what I'm trying to say. So the Lord gave me something and I was waiting on our second visit. Oh, they were supposed to bring back answers on archaeological answers. But, but besides, excuse me, I, I didn't see, besides the two Mormons that came the first time, they brought this older gentleman. Apparently he lived nearby me. And I guess one of the techniques that they're doing now is when they can, they'll bring a neighbor by. Not a missionary, but just a regular fellow. And if you, if they can convince you to accept their offer of going to their church or they're not going to invite you to the temple, you know, or stuff, they will encourage you to get to know the neighbor. I said, wow, that's a pretty good uh, evangelistic tool. You know, now if they'll bring somebody that's close by that you can get to know. But that fellow, he didn't know as much as they did. I, you know, you know, I, I call nominal Christians that don't know anything senos. So I guess he would be a, a mino, a Mormon in name only, because he had he was stumped when we were asking him about the fact that Mormons think that they can become gods. Um, we brought him to Isaiah 43 and 10. This is a passage you should always remember. You know, Isaiah 43, 10, and if I can find it, here we go. It says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and neither shall there be after me. That scripture hit him a little bit. He didn't know what to do with it. Because he, he believed this theology that they're going to all be gods one day. <clears throat> so he was going to try to get an answer for that. And he 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 texted the, the, the missionary because he wasn't coming back that next day. And he was talking about he was talking to people of that time. What does that mean? Of course he was talking to people of that time. Joseph Smith was talking to people of that time. Everybody's talking to people at whatever time they're writing something. But the fact remains that God said there was no God before him or after him. And he knows none. He goes on 
And Isaiah 44 and 8 says, fear not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. So, you know, we gave them several scriptures on the God thing. And see, my, my idea is this, or my thought is this. <clears throat> I'm going to present a defense of the gospel, but I'm not going to just try to close people up in the corner and force them to believe what is said. That's not my job. My job is to say what God said, to give them God's word, to see if they're going to submit to God. Because it's between them and God in the end, not me. My job is to make sure you understand what God had to say. After that, it's between you and the Holy Spirit. So anyway, when they came back, God had given me something to give Mr. Squishy. And I asked him, I said, because he's, you know, like I said, this is the guy. They'll say, well, you know, you should just pray to God and 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 see uh, if the Book of Mormon is, is true after you read some. And, and, and ask him, and I told him, no, that's silly. I said, let me ask you a question. This fellow comes up to you and he says, you know, and <clears throat> I got this bank. I got this great bank that I can get you a great return on your money. And you tell him, you know, you got ten thousand dollars. That's 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 all your savings. But you're a young man. It ain't like you can't make more money in the future, you know. But he says, I'll give you twenty percent. You know, you're gonna get a twenty percent re uh, uh, return on uh, your ten thousand dollars in six months. I said, you can't beat that. I said, wow. You know, I said, wow. That's that's great. So so. You know, wow, that's two thousand dollars. She, you know, and he and he said, "Look, I got witnesses. I got witnesses that will verify this information. I got five of them I can give you." And he brings out five dudes. They bring up these kind of bank statements and showing how they got all this money and everything is great. He said, "All you gotta do is." Put your money in. So just let me know. I'll talk to you in a couple of days. So, you know, the young guy, <clears throat> he ain't stupid. He's going to go do his homework. You know, he went online. He he looked up stuff. He, he tried to verify this bank. He couldn't find nothing. He said he had different branches. He couldn't find anything. So the man comes back in a couple of days. And he asked him, are you ready to make this investment? And he said, well, I couldn't find any information to substantiate your bank. He said, look, the money is good. It's protected. I told you about my friends. I tell you what you do. Why don't you just take it to God? Pray and ask him if this is a good investment. And if you get this feeling in your spirit from God, that this is a good investment. You know, you should do the right thing and put your money in. Well, by then, he he, he caught on. You know, he, he's grinning from ear to ear because he knew exactly where I was coming from. So I said, well, would you do it? And then he looked at me and said, no. I said, why not? He said, because I can't trust them. No, I wouldn't do it. 
I said, wait a minute. You would not trust this fellow with $10,000 of your money, but yet you're willing to trust the Mormon church with your eternal soul. And you got evidence for neither. Well, well, it's, you know, all you got is this burning in your bosom. Well, you know, it's not just that. Then then his friend tries to chime in and he says, well, you know, I I would take it to God in prayer. Oh, okay. Would you do it? No. See, neither one of these fellas, they they admit it. I got them to admit, thank the Lord, or the Lord got to admit that their faith is based on nothing, but they're risking their eternal existence on a lie. Everything. You know, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. I didn't even talk to them about how Joseph Smith used to con people. I didn't, I, I didn't want to get into the salacious stuff about his record. But the fact of it is, they should have been able to see it's a con. Because you had they, they, they cannot substantiate nothing. The whole thing rests or falls on the stories that Joseph Smith gave them. And it's clear that the Book of Mormon does not line up with the teachings of the Bible. It's not another uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a fraud. It's a lie. It's a scam. Yet, we were led, or they're trying to lead us, to accept it as being truth. And now, uh, like I said, when I said a few minutes ago, I didn't even get into the racist context of it. And it was, was, you know, prior to the 1970s, black people were pretty much shielded from Mormonism because they claimed that we were cursed and that the veil and that no one, no black person could be saved or get the priesthood until everybody else was saved. Well, they changed all that stuff. But, you know, that just brings me to another question because I asked them about the priesthood. They're all claiming that they're in this ironic priesthood. And, you know, between Jonathan and I, we showed them and said, well, that priesthood is over. It's null and void. It doesn't even mean anything anymore. Jesus Christ is the high priest. You know, we went into... Um, Hebrews chapter 7. I don't have time to get into that now. But when these young men come by and they say they're elders, so on, so on. And, and you know what? And I thought about that. I, said, I could show them where the Bible talks about the qualifications of an elder. These guys ain't old enough to be a biblical elder. But the idea, like I said, was not to beat them up. The idea was to show them 
the falsity of the theology they're trying to permeate on people to let to make them see that it's a lie. Hopefully, the Lord will open their eyes. And I would encourage people, if you can, pick up a Book of Mormon. Prepare yourself to, to witness to these people. More importantly, study the truth. And if you study the truth, you will never get deceived by the counterfeit. But what you should never do is avoid talking to these people, talking to them, talking to Jehovah Witnesses, talking to Moonies, talking to uh, various cultists, talking to atheists, talking to, uh, what do you call these people? <clears throat> people that believe in Islam. Buddhists, any of these folks, you should never avoid talking to any of them. Our job is to witness to folks with the law. Jesus died for all these people. And if we don't give them the gospel, who will? So we should be prepared. We should always have a defense for the faith that we have. And we should be ready to talk to anybody that's willing to listen, that's willing to give an honest ear. I mean, don't cast your pearls on swine. You know, I posted something the other, I think it was today or yesterday, and some woman, some atheist wrote this big, gigantic diatribe. I think she must have already had it set aside. I'm not going to waste my time on that person. That person is, doesn't want, they, they can't hear. All they can do is spit out their stuff. But somebody that's willing to listen, therefore, you have to be willing to listen too. And we were willing to listen to what they had to say. You must be willing to listen to people. Give them an opportunity to show you what they have. And then if they're, what they have is not biblical, you need to be able to show them what they don't have and offer them the gospel. Just because you're saved doesn't preclude you from trying to reach out to the lost. That's the job we were left with. And we should do it until Jesus comes back or calls us home. This is Sam Tolley, and I'm out.